Welcome to the uh, last movie club of 2019. The last movie club of a decade. Of a de- uh, see, th- I don't know. It's not. This is. I have problems with this. The Gregorian calendar does not have a year zero. It has a year 1 BC and 1 AD, which inherently means that it's not the end of the decade. There's one more year in the decade. Decades are weird, though, because I don't they didn't establish decades until like. That's a fairly, I was going to say recent, but relatively recent thing. But it doesn't make it right. <laughs> For basically I mean, calendars, which is what we're doing. A decade is a group of 10 years. It doesn't matter how you organize that. It's just a group of 10 straight years. This is some fake news. I'm going to write this down for the notes. Hashtag fake news. Okay. Hashtag fake a news. A news? Uh, yeah, a news, because it's real more fun if you put an A in the middle. You're sounding more and more like Donald Trump every day. No, I, I can't do the good Gina. I can't do that right. That's how you know it's not true, Trump. Because you've listened to him say the word China, right? Yeah. It's it's amazing. I don't understand where he learned to speak English, but I think everyone should go through that program. No. Is, it, no. is that just called Brooklyn in the 60s, or what is that? <laughs> I think that's called the rich people. Uh, so it is... We were recording this uh, beginning of December, so... Uh, AJ, how was your, uh, uh, what, what do you call it now, Native American Appreciation Day? Is that what we're calling it now? I, I don't know. I wasn't sure what we call that, that term. What's that day now? So the funniest part was I was in Florida and you were in Illinois. <laughs> there, is, there is so much irony in that one. Um, what were you doing in Florida? My family's down there. Where? Uh, Sarasota. Okay, you're going to have to help me on that one. Central Florida. That's funny, because I was in Orlando last week. So Sarasota is like an hour south of Tampa. It's on the Gulf. Uh, Okay, so you're probably an hour and a half, two hours from Orlando. Yeah. Okay. Yep. How was was the nice Florida? Was it nice and warm? Uh, Yeah, it was pretty good. Nice. See, see, I had, I had my family, which is always, we'll say a riot, because there's always screaming, because it's Thanksgiving, so legally there has to be screaming. Um, but yeah. Otherwise, I'm trying to think what other fun stuff. Ah, you know, you know what happened, right? I went to the Disney World. Oh, that's not even what I thought you were going to say. Oh, what were you thinking I was going with this one? Uh, didn't you go to AEW? Oh, okay, fine. We'll start there. So, yeah, I went to AEW. So, it was in Chicago. The Well, it's not in Chicago, which upset me. It was an hour and a half from Chicago, but they called it Chicago. <laughs> um, it was the show The 
day before Thanksgiving. Yeah. Uh, so that's for people in perspective. Uh, Le Champion comes out, introduces a little bit of bubbly. Uh, they do the whole present sequence. His dad is on the stage. And it ends with the match of Chris Jericho. And I've got the other guy. It was like a 20-minute final match. I'm going to say it. AEW might put on a better show. Then, uh, WWE. Yeah. Because hear me out. There's literally, like, I think I saw two promos total. And, like, obviously one of the openings of promo. But the other is there's one other promo. And then what's nice out in the live show is, you know, have you been to a WWE live show? I've been to a couple of them. So you know how you could tell when there's commercial break? Yeah. AEW, I could only tell you one when there was one commercial break. And I know there was like seven. Well, don't they do this side by side? What do you mean by the side by side? Like during the commercial breaks, they're showing you what's going on. No, they just keep running. Well, no, on TV, like. Oh, I am not sure on that one. There was one where action just cut completely, so I don't think so. I mean, unless they just run pan cameras at that point. But no, it was a good show. It was it was a consistent show because I had uh, both Dustin and Cody, Chris Jericho, um, God, I forgot the other guy, Kenny Omega. Like everyone you'd want in AEW was there that night. John Moxley made his return that night. Like it was a consistently great show. It's funny that they've got Mox back because he's gonna be in Wrestle Kingdom fourteen. But yeah. It's also funny that on also um, when what's the name of the old announcer that everyone at AEW has? No, I forget his name. Jim Ross. Yeah. So when Jim Ross comes out, it's like a fucking rock star comes out. Yeah. Like point blank. People are losing it. Which is hilarious because at a live show, you don't hear them at all. But also, um. So there's so the AEW's chick right now is they had before WE they had a female referee. Yeah, uh Audrey? Aubrey. Aubrey. Yeah, also when she comes out, people lose it. Yeah. So yeah, but as a whole, great great live show. Um I, would, I, I think would her recommend. Twitter handle is Girl Hebner, if I remember right. <laughs> I just Which is was... made even better by the fact that AEW has Earl Hebner on staff. I just thought it was funny because that was like, I think last week was the first like time that they were really showing off the WWE first female referee, which you know is exact a response to AEW. Well, NXT has had a few female refs. But not on the main, the other two main brands. They haven't. No, yeah. So, like, you know, that's a direct response at that point. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, that's a good show. Um, otherwise, uh, before Disney uh, last week, I was at IDSIC, which is like a military simulation conference. The reason I bring that up was there was a bunch of really cool VR stuff I saw, um, including the Varho, which. I know you see you didn't use one. You know what a Varho is or no? No, I'd never heard of them. So Varho is an absurdly expensive VR headset. 
Like they're running at like five grand for the cheap ones. But they're the highest quality on the market. So like it's it's weird because they purposely did a side by side of like here is the Oculus, here is the Vive Pro, and then here is the Varho, and you could just see the difference. Like it's not even a joke. Yeah. Because I think it's something like a it's something it was something like two or three times the pixels in the same size screen as the Vive Pro. Well, if you're going pixel count, that's not. I mean. That's impressive, but you can get around resolution by jamming pixels in there. But there's, there's other stuff there, too. But the, the whole point is, like, this headset, like, if you had the money, you can't compare yeah. them. Because even, like, it's tracking. You could feel a lot of difference. You never had any of that weird stuff. As a whole, it was great. Um, otherwise, I saw what's interesting is a bunch of, like, haptic suits and all those fun stuff. And, like, haptic gloves. Did anybody have uh, Res Infinite on a haptic? No. Um, a lot of what they did was they had like custom built. So I've seen like an I've seen in multiple places now this Arizona Sunshine demo, or stuff along that nature. A lot of times you, they run. So has that game like gotten legs again? Because I've heard it more and more. I don't know if it's gotten legs. I feel like more it's like a good demo piece for like either moving around or haptic or like, I feel like that's where it gets its pushed from. Cause like it came out and it made a splash and then like it died out. Yeah. I and know. now all of a sudden I'm hearing it again. But like, that's just, it's always weird from that. Um, of it's hard to tell, like, is it cause it's making a splash then or, is it we're just talking about enough from other things with it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, otherwise, the big thing for me, which we need to talk about, is so I went to the Disney World, right? Mm-hmm. So you know I worked at Six Flags, we'll say, for many years, right? Yeah. I'm going to say it. Admission excluded from what I'm about to say, okay? Disney is cheaper than Six Flags once you're inside the park. I yeah, I think so. But does it equal out? Oh, so Disney is a much better experience. What do you mean does it equal out? In terms of price, like Oh, so so I paid Florida admission, so take that out the grain of sand. Okay. Uh so I got my ticket I think for ninety dollars. And I think it's like a hundred and forty if you're non resident. Which okay, so that's a little bit more. So that's something like take what I'm saying with that grain of salt in mind. Uh, I was in Hollywood Studios, which is was MGM a few from years ago. Uh, so it's Toy Story Land, uh, Star Wars Galaxy's Edge, and then the rest of it is like Hollywood themed stuff, right? So that includes Tower of Terror is there, Phantasma's there, which I think is the best show. Um, so yeah, a lot of I think it's really cool once you're inside. Uh, it was super crowded. The big thing I think when you talk about, though, is so I spent a good chunk of the day, like half the day in Galaxy's Edge. Mm-hmm. It, so what's really cool is so the one side you're going from the Toy Story side, which is as cool. The other side, they have you walk through a tunnel and then you enter just straight into Star Wars land. I think it feels really good because because that tunnel, they can block the music out perfectly. They can block out everything. And then because you're in Orlando and it was hot out, it just feels yeah. like you're in the desert inherently. Yeah. 
Um, there's a lot of cool stuff. I really like they have. Do you know in Star Wars when you picture like a marketplace like in a crowded square? Mm-hmm. They made that perfectly where you walk in and go, oh, this feels like I'm in the middle of like a marketplace because how crowded everything is and all that. Disney's also really good at like just having people whose job it is to walk around just to fill in the world. Which yeah. parts, that's expensive to do, so they don't tend to do that always. Well, it it's expensive to do until you realize that those people are getting paid minimum wage. Okay, but from from dealing with labor, it still adds up immensely. Like even though I have twenty people whose job that is, with so talking, money equivalent of a show or something in a year's span. Yeah. Um, especially now that Disney's doing their like college program thing, where realistically most of those people are college kids whose Disney's also paying for their college. It gets weird. So they're actually more expensive than that in actuality. Um, what's really cool though, so I was in like their first order shop, right? So it's a, the segment, there's their the land based on first order, one side, rebels another side, or resistance another side. Mm-hmm. They had it. Where, like, a confused grandma was like, I'm here to buy, like, Jedi stuff. As she said that, a wall opened up, two troopers came out and said, ma'am, come with us, and just started escorting her to the other side of the park. (laughs) (laughs) Which is only something Disney could get away with. Yeah. Otherwise, um, I rode, so I didn't ride uh, Rise Resistance, which opened two days ago, because that queue line was 14 hours. Okay, hot take here. Who yeah. in the hell is going to stand in a line for more than an hour? So what they did is, they, which is nice, they have a digital queue for that ride. So what they did was, at the beginning of the day, you had to get in the queue, and then they had boarding groups that you had to arrive in the line during your group. So you see you had a 45-minute window to arrive in the line, and then when you're in that line, you're in it for under an hour. Okay, that's good, but, like, let's be real, people. I've... I haven't been to a theme park in a couple of years, but when you see two hour lines, who's thinking, oh, yeah, I'll stand in that line. So um, I, I stood in. So there's the Millennium Falcon ride, which is the other big one in that land. That line, I think I was in for like an hour, which was long. But what's nicest about a lot of the Disney rides, not all of them is their lines at least are like interactive or there's something to do. So it's like kind of part of the ride. Yeah. Which I think is when it becomes more acceptable. Well, and it's more acceptable when the lines are inside. Yeah, and like, that uh, was. Space Mountain or Rock and Roller Coaster or um, what else? There's a few. I think, no, Tower of Terror is outside. But there's, some, like, along those lines, I get what you're saying. Um, but what's interesting about, so I did the Lame Falcon... I like it because what is it? It's a, so it's a six-person pod, right? Mm-hmm. And it's literally, it's the same as Star Tours where it's an Air Force simulator on the back end that you're in. And what it is, is there are two engineers, two gunners, two pilots. So each of you in a seat, and then you basically go through this experience, and all of you have to do different things at different points, which basically means if you're the back one, you're flipping switches. If you're a gunner, you launch your missiles. And then if you're... Is a, this just Mission Mars or whatever that thing was called? No, this is something different, I think. Well, no. Do you did you ever do Mission Mars? I think it's an Epcot. I think I have, but it's not something that's coming to mind a ton. It sounds like the exact same thing. 
Maybe. Um, well, instead of six, it's four. I think it's either it's Mission really cool. Mars or Mission Moon, something like that. Okay. I think it's really cool. Um, it's because it's very fun and interactive because you're in the Falcon and all that fun stuff. Um, they found a cool way to like interweave like like hyper jumping. Like they found a way to make it feel right and all that. Also, this is the first time I think I've ever did Star Tours. Have you done Star Tours before? Uh, I don't know what that is. That's the old Star Wars ride that you go in there, like you're in the Falcon, like R2-D2 and C-3PO is driving you around space. Maybe. Okay, so what's really cool about I haven't been to Disney in over 10 years. Okay, so that one is on the back end, literally like a giant Air Force simulator that you used to train pilots. So like working on those, I feel it. Like when you're turning back, it's like, oh, it literally, you could just tell it is. But it's really cool because of that. So that you could, it's literally not moving, but it feels like you're for sure moving. Also, you're just building up the stereotype that you work for the government. <sighs> Yeah. That was so, a loud drink, dude. Sorry. Uh, AJ? Mike? I purposely saw it, but you should tell us. You see, so you watched this movie the last two weeks, right? About the men and the big cars. Uh, which one? Uh, the men, the big cars... The Le Mans, we'll call it. Oh, no. So I actually didn't get a chance to see it. How the hell did I see it and you didn't? Uh, I was just so busy. Wow. So I, I got to see Ford versus Ferrari. I mean, I know the story. That's true. So, like, I don't know how much the movie can, you know, really do. So me and my dad saw it, and my dad knew the story really well because, like, he was around kind of when it happened and, like, followed NASCAR kind of around that. Oh, like, not just NASCAR, but followed racing around that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so he said it reflected it pretty well, but, like, what he understood the story, too. Uh, I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, it's real funny because there's definitely moments that are, I think, a race that isn't the final race is actually more intense than the final race, which is interesting. Do they show Daytona? Yeah, that's the thing I think is more intense. I think a Daytona race is objectively more intense than the Le Mans. And Ferrari won that Daytona race. That's not what they do in the film. Uh, what Daytona race do they show? The one before the Le Mans. It's the one... What year? I mean, not... I think it's... Was it 66? What was it? 66 what was... was the first year that Ford won... It's the year they won the Lamaze is what they portrayed it as. Because Ferrari won Daytona the one year. So, hmm. Okay, they only showed one Daytona. So the film, and that's what gets weird, is they don't really reflect what year stuff is once it gets rolling really well. Which, which is kind of a problem with the film, realistically. Um... Okay, yeah. Yep. That was the first year of the 24. Yeah, they made it clear that it was a 24-hour one. Yeah. 
Um, I believe it was a 12 hour race before that. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, let's see. Since inception. Um, 2006. There was a three hour sports car race. Um, 64. Okay, yeah. So in 64, it was uh, distance and not time. Okay. And what do you mean distance and not time? So is it just whenever they hit like X mile marker or whatever? Yeah, so it was, uh, it started as a thousand kilometer, roughly six hour race. Um, and then they went to in 60. Uh, 64 went to 2,000 kilometers. So then maybe I'm a little confused on how this time thing works. Is it once you hit the 24-hour marker or 12-hour marker, whatever it is, do they just call that as the last lap? Do they say, what is your placement at the time? How does that work? <clears throat> okay, so there's two different forms of endurance racing. Mm-hmm. There's time and distance. Distance, it's obviously distance. So it's normally like a set number of laps. Mm-hmm. And then they also they have a time limit that they're to do it in, but it'll usually run either fast if it, the race is running fast, or they'll run over if they're having issues. Um, so distance races are, in my mind, a little more fun to watch. I can see that. Um, whereas time races, okay, so like the 24 hours of Le Mans Mm -hmm. is a very unique race in that it's an endurance race that runs partly on a specific racetrack, like a track designed, like it's a, it's a racetrack. It's, it's meant to be raced on. And part of it is on public roads. But they're—I assume—they're at least blocked off. Yeah, they're blocked off at the. That'd be ama- Can you imagine if they weren't? Like people are just on these roads, and like you deal with this while you're racing. Um, that's what uh, Baja is like. Really? Yeah. So the Baja endurance race, the Baja One Thousand. Um, the roads that they go on are technically blocked off, but there's some people that live out in the desert so they that have need to, to use the roads to get out so every now and then you'll have a time where there's just some random truck like going backwards god it's a mario kart lap at that point there's a great video from 2018 of alexander rossi who won the 100th indy 500 Mm -hmm. he's racing for honda and there's a jeep coming up the track and they don't see it, and he jumps and clips the uh, the Jeep's uh, side mirror. Whoa. So that video is pretty good. It's pretty pretty uh, intense. Um, so anyway, so like the 24 hours of the month, so the 24 hours, I think it starts at 2 in the afternoon. 
Okay. So then the next day at two in the afternoon, the clock strikes zero or 24. Um, and then wherever the leaders are at that point, they're given, I think this is how Lamont works. They're given uh, one more lap. Okay. So that is, so, so that it's, it's 24 plus unless it's like, they started a lap at like 2359. Like they just snuck one in before the 24. Mm -hmm. Then that will be the last lap. So it's kind of like, that's when you kind of like cut, I want to say cut it, but that's kind of how like in like go-kart tracks, that's when you move the bar. Yeah. Okay. That actually makes sense. Um, because, uh, that makes sense too, because, uh, the, in the movie goes over the, how he got screwed out of the Lamas title. Oh, how, uh, Ken Miles, Ken Miles loses to Bruce McLaren. Yeah. How he gets, how we're going to say, um, Ford doesn't like him. That's not the case. So that's, so the movie portrays it very much as like bad man Ford. Okay. That's not how it actually went down. Okay. The actual thing that went down was Ford wanted all three cars in the same photo mm -hmm. crossing the finish line. And Ken was obviously in the lead, so he slowed down. Well, Bruce and I believe it was... Who was the other... I don't... In the... Uh, Andretti, I think, was one of them. Yeah, I think Andretti sounds right, actually. Yeah. Um, they were behind him, so they got the word to, like, hey, yeah, Ken's slowing up. down, catch up, and, you know, we're going to cross the line all at once. And I believe the way it happened was Bruce was trying to get in line, so mm -hmm. sped up. And then just happened to cross the line before Kim. So how they portrayed it as, and this is a biopic, so I'm not really spoiling it, because it's more the journey. Um, of It's a, they showed Ken Miles like a hair head, but basically a third high. And then because I think one of them was started farther back, he was the winner. Cause, yeah. Because the distance overruled the time thing if they tied at time. Yeah. So that's another thing. Uh, Lama is based on number of laps you do. Okay. Um, because obviously in a 24-hour race, there's going to be people that, like, their engines blow up, so then they're in the pits for 20 laps. Right. Well, they can come out and be competing with the leader, they're not but really. the leader has no idea that they're 20 down. Mm -hmm. and in a 24-hour race you can make up 20 laps yeah i can say easily but it can be done also the thing i learned from this and you're gonna call me an idiot for saying this i didn't know that fiat owned ferrari um i'm not gonna say you're an idiot because ferrari's gone through a couple different owners because, like, obviously I knew I've heard of both companies, but I don't I ever put them together as in my head. Yeah. I, let me make sure I get this right, because Fiat is a uh, 
um, what's the like NASA? What? Um, what? It's the what's the what's that term called? An anagram? No. Uh, An aerospace company? No. Like there's the there's the one that's like FBI where it's an initialization. Mm-hmm. And then NASA where we turn it into a word. Mm. I have no clue. So uh, Fiat stands for Fabrica Italiana Automobili Torino. <laughs> or in other words, Italian Automobiles Factory Turin. Yeah. Um so it's that. It's a uh not an anagram. It's what you know, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, God, what's the what is that called? It's gonna bug me. Um, so yeah, and they were. In fact, I think they still are the only major Italian automaker. Yeah, because Fiat I would define as major. Um, there's Alfa Romeo, but that's, I think, almost always been owned by Fiat. Okay. So. Nice. So, yeah, that's, that, that, I, I, for sure, watching that film, I did not realize that, because they show, at least their portrayal of the, of the buyout. Um, also the, the John, uh, Berthals in this film, I think is his name. As Lee Iacocca. Yeah. And he portrays him real well. Lee Iacocca. <laughs> also, I like the thing where they show, at the end, they show a picture of Ken Miles and Carol Shelby. Yeah. Ken Miles looks like, so don't get me wrong. Christian Bale does a good portrayal. Of like a kind of country, like a, I was a country, but like kind of like more broke, broke like old British man. That picture just holy shit! I didn't realize how much Ken Miles looks like. Uh. Oh yeah, it's ridiculous. Like Ken Miles, I could picture like on a trail in a trailer somewhere, just <laughs> like, like God. But no, um, I think you'll enjoy the film, AJ, so you should go check it out at some point. Um, 24, I want 66. Um, let's see. 24, I want the 20, 66 Lamar. Um, I want the finishing order because McLaren, uh, no, it was um, Ronnie Buckdom and Dick Hutcherson. Were the, the, third. Other, the other two Ford guys? Yeah, they were the third uh, car. Okay. So, uh, does every, every company always have three cars in the laws? No. Like in 66, Porsche had four. So, just how many you could sponsor? Uh, yeah. Okay. Basically, Alpine had two. There were, oh, sorry, three. Ferrari either had two or three, I don't remember. Um, they didn't even finish, if I remember right. No, they, they show that. They did not finish. Uh, Dan Gurney raced in a GT40 
and um, I want to say Andretti was in one of them. Maybe not. He could have been then one of the backup drivers, or not backup, but like. Jackie other. X raced for Essex Wire Corporation. Why? Mm. Um, if you look at the '66 uh, Le Mans, the number of either future or current F1 champions is incredible. Is F1 just less intensive? Is why they go with that? Uh, no. So, okay. So here's how it used to work. Until the let's say 1970s, mid 70s. Okay. Um, F1 worked in a way where there were only like 10 races. Hmm. So a lot of the drivers would also race in different series. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of them raced in Formula 2 as well because F2 was at the same tracks as F1. Oh, okay. So they used it as kind of like a scout race before the F1 race because F2 cars at the time were just basically detuned F1 cars. Um, so they could use the F2 race to figure out like how the track's driving and stuff like that. Um, a lot of them would come over to run the Indy 500. Um, because that was part of the world championship. Okay. And not the F1 championship. So until, I think it was 1980, there are... I think at one point in time, you could have won four different titles as an F1 driver. It may have been even more, depending on how many series you raced in. But so F1 wasn't like a full-time job at the time. Okay. Um, And so there wasn't a scheduling conflict like there is now. And the F1 drivers could race in... Lamar. Hmm. So, like, uh, Bruce McLaren is McLaren Car Company. He raced for McLaren. Mm-hmm. And uh, who did he start with? Um, he was a Can-Am driver. Cooper. He drove for Cooper and Eagle. And then started his own team. Um... So Bruce McLaren, Ken Miles was more of a sports car. I think he drove an F1 car a couple times. Um, let's see. Going down the list. Um, I don't know. I don't recognize any of those names. Uh, Dan Gurney is probably the single most influential racing driver ever. Well, that's, that's a high title. Uh, there is a thing called the gurney flap that uh, open wheel cars use now that he invented. Um, there's the gurney duct. There's the 
like if you look at hit the list of stuff that he created mm-hmm. it's incredible he's up there with colin chapman in terms of how they affected racing um but just in terms of a driver like colin chapman was never a driver he owned uh, lotus okay and ran that team um jackie x guy ligier um let's see who else do i recognize patty hopkirk um jackie x phil hill graham hill um, i've definitely heard the name Joe phil hill Schessler, mario andretti uh, Lucien Bianchi is, I believe, related to Jules Bianchi. Um, let's see, who else? Sir John Whitmore, I believe, was just more of a sports car racer. Um, Jochen Rint. Let's see, I don't know. Nobody in the DNS that I recognize. So, yeah. Hmm. Nice. Um, the other thing that I think we need to talk about before we get into our official movies. Uh, so last night, after watching our, our new movie, I sat down for three and a half hours and watched The Irishman. How is it? Okay. I've I, heard... Conflicting reports. Right. So this is the way this is. So I enjoy the journey. My issue with this film is there is no resolution. Like it, it like. So the thing that I think Scorsese, I think what he's at least consistently good at is obviously all of his films, we're going to all good or some either long winded or a slow burn. But he at least understands you have to close out the film in some sorts. So like. Goodfellas has a closing. Obviously, Departed has an insane closing. Wolf on Wall Street kind of has a closing. Everything has a closing to it. Because of the story of Jimmy Hoffa, they just, like, remember, what would you tell me? If the movie, you're going to have a problem with the movie could have cut 40 minutes? Yeah. He should have cut it 40 minutes sooner when he did his portrayal of Jimmy Hoffa's death. He should have cut the film there, or at least 10 minutes after that. So, in other words, this isn't that great of a movie. I think they're like two and a half to three hours of a great film. It's the back like 30 minutes I go, this is not this is not a wind down closing of a film. This is like, keep, he just keeps going like it never happened, and then it just cuts to credits. Oof. Like, that doesn't make sense. I go, I, go, I understand the main character in this film isn't Jimmy Hoffa. But, like, when you remove Jimmy Hoffa from the film, okay, so so there's Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Pashi, uh, no, uh, and, um, yeah, Pashi, right? Mm-hmm. At this three-hour mark I just mentioned, Pashi is dead, and Al Pacino is dead. So it's just De Niro talking about shit for 30 minutes. When he's in a wheelchair, like, in the home. That's I a big oof. Like, I don't, at that point, I don't care. I don't mind it, like, them being old for the sake of the film. But, like, I mind it when it's just him 
And like now we're not even seeing like full because a lot of the films like in flashbacks. Yeah. I was okay with that when you cut back to him being old, like he's telling a story to mind you. But I didn't need 30 minutes of him just being out of the story than living. Man, Scorsese may have lost a step. <sighs> Again, first two and a half to three hours of this film, I think are consistently great. Can this movie be two and a half hours? I don't know if it could be two and a half. It could for sure be three. 245. Maybe. So, and I'm not, and maybe, and I think you might be cutting more than you, like you would have to shorten some scenes more than cut scenes at that point. I think I could cut a half hour out of this film to, and make it consistently better. I don't know if I could cut an hour. At least I'm positive on that. The f- okay. This gets back to if you can cut half an hour out of a movie, it's not a good movie. Because hear me out, okay? So we both enjoyed Avengers Endgame, right? I don't think I can cut a half hour out of that film. Maybe I cut 10 minutes, but I don't think I, don't think yeah. I, could, I, don't think I could cut that much out of that film, for example. And that was a film we both praised. Yeah. It made full use of its three-hour runtime. Because hear me out. If a film has a bad scene or like 10 minutes equivalent of a, a, a like footage I don't understand the point of, I don't care that much because like that could just be some people need it, some people don't. It's when you yeah. start getting to the bigger chunks is when it matters. Yeah. Like, like Irishman, and this is not a spoiler, this is just to put in perspective when I say a useless scene. There is a 10-minute scene where he's picking out his gravestone. Okay. That's the, no, no, that's the entire scene. You don't even see him go in and die. Oh, Okay. Do you see yet what I'm saying about, like, scenes that we didn't need? Yeah. Like, I understand he's going to die. You don't need to explain to me for the nth time. So how do they handle Hoffa's death? Um, well, Hoffa, you understand, like, disappeared, right? Yeah. Uh, they make it seem like a planned hit instead of him disappearing. Okay. And, like, to the public, he still disappeared, but, like, they make it internally. I mean, that's, I think that's the accepted theory at this point. That... And, and to me, that would make sense. Um, and that's why I think this film gets really cool, is, like, the, like, insane demise of Al Pacino, who plays Hoffa. Like, just watching him go from the king, basically, to, to down, all the way down to the bottom rung. Yeah. But yeah, I I still think it's a film that should be checked out. There's a lot really cool in it. But like when when you get to the thing where it's just De Niro, you could just turn off the film. Is what I'm gonna say. Because it's That's Netflix, I enough. can say that. When I, it's because it's Netflix, I can say that. Just when you hit the three hour mark, hit back. Put on somehow I met your mother and just pretend that last half hour didn't exist. Or go watch. Uh, I don't know. What else is on Netflix? Um, Marvel movies for another month. <laughs> so I'm seeing more and more of the Marvel stuff on Amazon and Hulu. So you can Hulu is interesting. Amazon, I know you could rent most of them. Hulu makes sense though because it's. Disney, yeah. Yeah. 
I, I think Hulu, my assumption is it's more shows than movies. Yeah, I think the movies are moving over to Disney+. Plus. Yeah. What's upsetting about Disney Plus is Australia Disney Plus is getting the X-Men films, but America isn't. That sounds like a licensing problem. But at this point, it's Fox. Which I don't understand what the license problem is. There might be, like, deals they made. Oh, so they have to wait for the deals to wear. Yeah. That could be. Um, yeah. Uh, anything else before we jump into the movies? Um, I watched a couple very good football games. Ooh. Uh, I watched LSU completely throttle uh, Georgia, 37-10. Yeah, that's the, I assume that's not a close game, we'll call it. No. Georgia scored a touchdown in garbage time. Okay. Uh, the Oklahoma-Baylor Big 12 championship was one of the best Big 12 championships I've ever watched. Hmm. Um, and then the Ohio State-Wisconsin Big 10 title game was a game of two halves. Wow. Uh, Wisconsin scored 21 in the first half, and Ohio State was lucky to score a touchdown. Uh, they came out in the second half, and Ohio State shut Wisconsin down. Shut them down? Yeah. Final score, 34-21, to 21, uh, Ohio State. Like, hmm. they literally shut Wisconsin down. Wisconsin didn't score at all. Okay. Nice. Uh, anything else besides? Um, I didn't watch it, but I watched the highlights of the Anthony Joshua, Andy Ruiz fight. Okay. Which uh, saw Joshua regain uh, his titles and Ruiz pull a Buster Douglas. Mm-hmm. You have no idea what that is. I'm just going, mm-hmm. Football, I understood what you're saying, so. <laughs> Do you know who Buster Douglas is? No. Okay, Buster Douglas pulled off arguably the greatest upset in sports when he came in as a nobody and knocked out Mike Tyson. Okay, that, that helps me. Um, he then went on to fight. I believe it was Holyfield was his next fight. He came in way overweight, incredibly out of shape, and himself got knocked out. Um, there are a couple other heavyweight fighters that pulled off an upset and then went on to lose their next fight. And while he didn't get knocked out, Ruiz came in at 287 pounds, whereas Joshua weighed in at 237.8. Hmm. To put it into perspective, Andy Ruiz is a generous six feet. He's probably more like 5'10", 5'11". Anthony Joshua is a legit 6'5". So somebody that's 6'5 and is 238 pounds uh, is shredded. Like, look up pictures of Anthony Joshua, excuse me, from probably... Let's say three years ago. Anthony Joshua. Yeah. He is Adonis. 
Like, oh, that's a that's a big boy. Yeah, he is Adonis. Like, there's no denying that. Uh, Andy Ruiz is a fat Mexican. Hmm. Um, like through and through, just does not look like a fighter. Um, and got outboxed for twelve rounds. Oh, Joshua won by. I think the final scorecard was something like 119 to 109. Oh, so yeah, not. Yeah, ESPN had it 119, 109. Because if if I remember correctly, if you win, it's 10, and if you lose, it's 9 or 8, pending. Is that it? So, okay, so you, you get uh, 10 points if you win a round. Right. Well, you can get a total of 10 points. But realistically, I thought it was, you kind of. Yeah. Basically, at this point, it's been. If you win the round, you get 10. Mm-hmm. There have been times where you win a round with less than 10. But it's... It's very rare. Okay. Um, so basically what this proves is that Joshua dominated. Mm-hmm. Um, since it was 119, he literally only lost one point. Hmm. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. I want to see somebody's scorecard because then you can usually tell like where they may have, you know, dipped or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see if I can find it. Uh, Joshua. Um, all right, let's see. Scorecards, uh, Twitter reactions, Twitter reactions, Twitter reactions. No scorecards. Where are the scorecards? Come on, Forbes. You told me there would be scorecards. <laughs> you have to pay for it under the Forbes membership program. Um, let's see. Boxing scene. Definitely. Okay. Um, jabs, final. This doesn't tell me how anybody scored it. That's just punch stats. Um, all right, here we go. This is an image. Let's see. Uh, they had... Oh, that was the knockout. That's not what I want. Okay. Anyway, so he only lost... Joshua only lost a single point. Hmm. He didn't lose a round. So that means, in this case, he won a round with less than 10 points. Okay. And Ruiz scored 109 in a 12-round fight. In other words, it was not close. No. So. Yeah. Okay. I think, now that we're on to the movie club portion of movie club, do we, I think when you start with Clue, don't you agree? You mean Cluedo? Why Cluedo? That's the British. The British name for Clue is Cluedo. My God. Yeah. God. Yeah, we'll go with Cluedo. I think hey, they even say it in the movie. Now that you mentioned that, I did, that when you said that, I was like, Eagle, that sounded like familiar in a contextual way. I think Tim Curry says something about Cluedo. So I'll let you start. What is your opinion of... 1985's Clue? 
84. I think 84. I think it's 84. Um, 85. 85. I want to take a time machine back to 1985 to go watch this in the theaters. So, because did I ever tell you what makes this movie special? No. Uh, it has three endings. Well, that's true. Where they show it. So in the home release, they show all three. Wait, are you telling me that it was random? Yep. I didn't know that. I thought it was yep. just weird as hell. Nope. <laughs> so each three of the endings that you see are the three different endings that could have been that you could have seen. Okay. See, and then you know what upsets me is that sounds way cooler. <laughs> yeah. They don't explain that. No. God. That yeah, seems... If you didn't know that was the case, I thought watching it was just this hell. back makes it really weird. Cause that's what I thought. I was like, oh, that's fucking weird. Why do they, I'm like, cause in my head, I'm like, what's the real ending? <laughs> Oh, because yeah. that'd be really cool in the time. If like, cause can you imagine talking to someone and you try to talk about the film and they're like, "No, that's not what happened." Yeah. Yeah, it became a thing of people thought they saw different movies. Which, which is seeing that sounds God. So, yeah. Um. So what else I'm gonna say is maybe at the time it was a good film. This does not hold up. Uh, yeah. There are moments that are fine. Like, Tim Curry, I think, is consistently pretty good, besides when he does his going back around scenes. Um, obviously, considering the moment I saw her, I, I wouldn't clue, and the next thing was made question mark. She's pretty good. <laughs> uh, oh, the busty maid? Yeah. But in general, actually, she was actually a decently good actress. Yeah. Um... Chris Lord, because I'm so used to him old now, was real weird to see. Well, especially when you consider uh, 1985, I think, is the year of the first Back to the Future. Right, which he looks so much older in that film. Yeah, so obviously they aged him up, but... Yeah, uh, I think the film, to me, was... Interesting in the I'm never quite sure what happened until well until you get to the endings kind of thing. Yeah, it's a whodunit. Yeah, I'm gonna say it though. Of the three endings, I think the weakest ending is the where everyone killed someone ending. Is that the one that that's the final ending? Yeah, where they basically yeah. he was like, and everyone killed someone. He walked away as the FBI agent or whatever. Wait, I like no. uh... Plum is, Plum is an FBI agent in one of them. Right, Tim Curry's an FBI agent. I think Tim Curry's in the other two. Yeah. I like. The, I think I like the one where Tim Curry is the agent, and it's the old woman does it. I think. And then she just walks to the back of her car, out the door. Oh yeah. Uh, so this is so. I, this is when I texted you because, what's the thing about Clue, which I don't understand, is okay. So, I understand originally why they don't leave the house. Why don't they leave the house when they think there's a murder in there and Tim Curry has the key and they open the door to say hi to someone? I think the reason they don't leave is because 
if they leave, it makes them look even. It makes all of them look suspicious. But no one knows. Like something happened. Like, yeah. It's just. Well, the FBI knows about this party. Do they at that point? Like, do they know they do it? That I don't think they know that because the first time they open the well, door is when the FBI calls. But how would the FBI know to call that? But they don't. But they don't know that fact at this point, though. This is us as an audience knowing this now. But at the moment when they first open the door is when the cops show up. When the cops show up is when Hoover called. But pre-Hoover calling, they had no clue. But what I'm saying is, how would Hoover know to call that house? Well, what I'm saying is the the members of the film at this point are unaware of that fact. Oh, yeah. That's what I don't understand why they didn't. Yeah. That's my whole point is they were unaware of that. Yes. But they were also trying to figure out, like, okay, what do we do? There's now a cop in here. Like... Yeah. Also, the singing telegram and her just getting murked is hilarious. It's hilarious. But I was like, what's the point of that? Because <laughs> that was one of the endings when Tim Curry did just the hell of it. Yeah. So what what are your opinions on Clue? It's it's fine. Like it's not objectively bad, but it's totally like an it's totally like the you could tell in the eighties this was a, a good film and now it just doesn't hold up. I think this is the best board game adaptation. Hear me out. We should get a Guess Who movie. We shouldn't. Because <laughs> it'd just be a lineup film. Is all it would be. Man, it would just be the usual suspects scene exactly. for two hours. Exactly what I was picturing in my head was that. I mean, I guess Netflix could do it. They did Bandersnatch, like. Yeah, but no one liked that. No. So, yeah, okay. So now that we've done with Clue, we need to talk about the modern version of Clue, which it totally was, and you were right on that way. Yeah. Uh, Knives Out. The Ryan Johnson, I think, directed and produced. No, he didn't direct it. He produced it. Okay, produced. Um, I'm going to say it. totally my type of film. So I'm not sure if it's your type of film. <laughs> uh, the best part about this film is Benoit Blanc here. <laughs> can we, can we I say, I say. Daniel Craig in non-Bond roles, I forget how good of an actor he objectively, like I know in Bond he's great, but like I forget how much he's objectively a great actor. Dude just steals every scene he's in in this movie. <laughs> like, he's like, he's like, well, one second, let me tell you. And they're like, shut up with your Kentucky Fried accent. <laughs> that line was so good. Miss Cabrera. <laughs> also, I'm not sure if this is a hot take. Uh, Anna de Armas can be in every movie. Yeah, that's the main actress, right? Yeah, she's yeah. Cabrera. She is shockingly great. Like I was at first, I was a little concerned. When, like with the first couple scenes, like when they opened, when the cold cut opened, 
like after like in like her house and i was very much like what is this film and then it started making sense also hottest nurse i've ever seen <laughs> i don't know we just we just saw a different nurse that i think could put a running fight a different nurse and clue oh not nurse i'm sorry that was that was she was the maid yeah, yeah. I did like the thing though when, when they're like he just wanted companionship and now, you know every audience member is like you're gonna cut down yeah. you're having sex with him aren't you which they then bring up of like you were having <laughs> intimate relations with my father it was like boinking you were boinking yeah. <laughs> you were boinking Jamie Lee Curtis saying boinking <laughs> may be my favorite moment of 2019 fuck um I so knives out. Um, I think we all called it a mile away in the back of our heads that it was probably Chris Evans, but the way they got it to being Chris Evans, I think, is genius. For me, it was between Chris Evans and Michael Shannon. Because at the longer the film went on, I'm like in my head because once they like showed her doing it in my head, I was like, "Do you have two like?" the upsetting ending would be giving it back to the family because no, the audience doesn't want that. And that's why that closing yeah. is so satisfying when she's up there drinking out of the coffee cup. <laughs> can, can we just say, though, the, uh, the um, young son and the, the uh, daughter, the granddaughter, the two grandkids, yeah. uh-huh. are hilarious. <laughs> Oh, troll. oh, he was jerking off to like African kids dying or something like that. That line, I laughed. <laughs> also, I appreciated how they did the preppy white kid as totally the like <laughs> so good. Uh, so the the granddaughter, I really like the thing of like where she like pretends to be her friend and she's like. I need the money and she was out to care if he just hangs up the phone and then everyone in the house is like surrounding her listening on the call well I don't know if they were necessarily listening into the call they were listening but they were talking yeah but the instant she hangs up they all knew like this is over like that's so great um I liked the two detectives <laughs> so much Oh, the one that's just a huge fan and the black dude that just has no time for any of this. So the black dude is from Sorry to Bother You, which threw me off when I first heard him. I never saw that. Okay, well, he's the main he's the main actor in Sorry to Bother You. Let me look. He's fairly new. Yeah, I think that's really the only other thing I saw him in. But I just the moment I heard him, I was like, oh, I know who this is. Uh, Keith Stanfield. Yeah, that sounds right. Um, IMDb. He's an actor and a rapper. Whoa, 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 whoa. Um, sorry to bother you. He was in Selma, apparently. And Death Note. Okay, I did not see those. Um, the Girl in the Spider's Web. Which is that the final of the... Yes. Of the Dragon Tattoo? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um... He was in Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town. (laughs) Uh, He was in Get Out. Okay. Selma, The Purge Anarchy. Hold up, hold up. So so while you're doing this, I I was pulling up Knives Out cast list to make sure I didn't miss any notes. Mm -hmm. 
that was Frank Oz's lawyer. I didn't catch that. <laughs> like I the the pointless lawyer. Yeah. I believe that was Frank Oz. Um, who else is in this movie? Uh, Michael Shannon, Don Johnson. Oh, God. Jamie Lee Curtis, Anna de Armas. Tony Collette. She's, she can just fuck off. It, I, she was probably one of the... Okay, Don Johnson, though, was great. Oh, his character was amazing. <laughs> like, he just had this, like... Again, one of those people, like, when he was in the scene... He, he stole, stole every scene, but that's Don Johnson. Like, the dude is Miami Vice. Mm-hmm. Like, he's just got a swagger about him, even to this day. Again, though, Michael Shannon was another great one. Yeah. Uh, Chris Evans' character, I like the whole thing of, like... Because it, it feels like a legitimate thing of, like, to fuck his family, he would help her. To be like, just give me my part of it, and you just have the rest. Yeah. Which, which, and that's the one character twist that I don't quite understand is. So, like, he was getting his cut no matter what. So, why? So, I felt like him as a character, like, wanting to fuck his family more than help it, made more sense to me. Yeah, because he was, he was the ugly stepchild of the family. The family. And that's why to me, when I when like that was the original thing I thought was happening, it actually made sense to me. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Chris Plummer as Harlan. Really good. Real good. Um, let's see. Jamie Lee Curtis is incredibly underused in this movie. I thought that, too. But at the same time, like it. When she was in it, she killed it. So, like, she's underused from a scene percentage point of view. I feel like they use Michael Shannon way more than I thought they were going to. But, like, when she's there, it's so great because, like, you're like, at first you're like, oh, she's the good one. And then it slowly unravels. Also, Michael Shannon's character, when he tries to intimidate Marta. Yeah. Why did Marta not just kick out his cane? Because I think he was scared of the repercussions of doing anything to provoke him at that point. But it's real funny. That's why it's so satisfying, too, when she goes the line of like, oh, with the family's fortune, which I have access to. Yeah. <laughs> when you saw that, and you saw Michael Shannon's face at that point. Yeah. Um, let's see. Anybody else? Uh, you know, the thing when you talk about, which is beautiful, is when she learned to control her puking long enough to lie. Yeah. And be like, Fran's alive. And he went, and all of a sudden they went, went and they went, she's alive. She went, tell me she lied. She went, yeah, Fran's dead. And I just had you admit it on tape. <laughs> also, that is a great, like, we need a plot device of this person can't tell a lie. That is, that is okay. That's a great plot device. In a film like this, that was, because you, like, kept in, like, how she didn't get out of it. Yeah. Yeah, every with that plot device, you're like, okay, every time she's talking, like, you know, more and more, you're seeing like she's telling the truth. And then she lies to Benoit mm -hmm. in the car. And then passed and her, like, in the club. Yeah. Which, when they put Daniel Craig in there, I was, I was like, at what point is he going to pick up and just step out of that cup? 
I was fully expecting him to pick it up and drink. That's what I mean. I was expecting that. And, <laughs> and they did a really good job of that was just a red herring. That was that was perfect. Yeah. Um I did like the the way they did the flashback scenes, like originally when they were lying to the detective and then calling back to the truth. I liked that whole shtick. Yeah. It was a good way also to get us to see the characters' names, obviously, to stick in our head. Because they're, like, their names that you kind of, like, there's so many characters you had to learn them. Yeah. Okay, no, no. You know who we didn't talk about who stole the show? Great no. Nana. <laughs> How old is she? No one knows. <laughs> Nana, do you want to eat dinner? She already ate the entire spread. <laughs> Ransom? Is that you? Back again? Which is so subtle. You would never have caught that till they explained it. Yeah. I like this. Well, thinks- and they played it perfectly because he leaves the party early. Right. And she says, like, Ransom leaving so soon. Mm-hmm. It's so great. I'm gonna Knives not, Out much better movie than Clue. Oh, like not even like it's the time and place thing. I think just Knives Out is a better because Knives Out. So Clue and there's a thing I, I have issue with some '80s comedies and some do it well is '80s doesn't understand dark comedy because instead of dark comedy they all have like that idea of like now we think of it like God what's the there's a term for it I can't think of of like but it's the whole thing of like it's still kind of tongue in cheek. Where this film, it's not funny, but it totally is. Oh yeah, this is a comedy that is not a comedy. Right, and and so it's it's very much like a dark comedy in that sense, but it's dark comedy at least is still trying the comedy part, which is this is just a funny movie that doesn't need to be. Yeah. Like, like it's how extra all the characters are, or how much you hate all of them for different reasons, and and like how. <laughs> Like, the final thing in this one is obviously when they read the will and you realize that, like, she gets everything just indirectly and the family just all turns around and goes, you know, we've always been great to you. Yeah. <laughs> Besides Jason Lee Curtis, who's like, I'm going to kill her. I'm going to do it right now. <laughs> which, which, that's the other thing of, I like how earlier in the film... They made a, him pointing out that he had crop knives, and I forgot about that until Chris Evans goes to kill her. I think the better part, the more subtle thing that they do is when they explain how everything happened. Mm-hmm. And Benoit sets up the two vials yeah. and tapes them over and is like, give me the morphine. He's like, how do you do that? Because you knew. Because yeah. in my head, I, cause I was trying to run that through my head once you realize that that's probably what happened. Of like, I'm like, but how did he flip the labels? I don't understand. Then I was like, oh, that makes sense. Yeah. <sighs> Knives Out. Because uh, the thing with Knives Out, I think it's, it's a fun, really fun film. It leaves you questioning the actually the entire time, like how it's going to happen. Yeah. Like you, the moment you think you know it, and then they kind of at least pull your expectations enough. There were enough, like, there's some movies where having too many open threads hurts it. Mm-hmm. 
This does not have that problem. It's when you have a when you're saying when you have a donut shaped hole inside a donut shaped hole. Yep. <laughs> like this is where when, I think someone like when, Daniel. Craig when you have do. a donut, we're looking for the thing to fill in the hole. But you know what's really nice about saying that is Daniel Craig made the illusion earlier how she was the thing that would be in the center of it. Yeah, he says like this invest and this investigation revolves around you. And then later he says how there's a hole in the center of it. Yeah. Which is totally like a callback to that. This movie. Primo. Primo Primo Bavero. This is our this is top tier new movie of movie club. Whew. Not just top this is like this is this you know what I was thinking of this film? And maybe because it stars another Chris, I thought of this. In my head, this is what I wanted uh, El Royale to be like. Yes. Is this, is this a good example? Because it's that type of movie. Yeah, this is the El Royale was totally a whodunit. But this did it so much better. Yeah. Like, like. There's so many like, like the way they do every scene, the like the, the little thing of like as he's dying, he wrote like wrote down his death in the notebook. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's a good way to kill somebody. Yeah. Like, cause he thinks she has the thing. <laughs> oh god! Or like the little stuff of like, of like, oh crap! I messed up the evidence thing. She's bad at this. <laughs> Okay. So yeah, I'm gonna call it then. Knives Out, I think, is a glowing grand review from us. Yes. Okay. So yeah. Thank you everyone for joining us for the final movie club of the year of our Lord and Savior 2019. Not the end of the fucking decade. Thank you. Uh so yeah. Remember, you can follow the show every single Friday. It's the SWW show on podcast feeds of your choice. Anchor.fm dot slash SWW, I think, would be the shortcut for that one. Or again, iTunes, Spotify, all those fun stuff. Remember, you can follow me on Twitter at Mikey underscore Maroney. You can follow AJ over there at Losey end of the decade boy. You can follow the show at the SWW show. Go to SWWshow.com for anything I missed. And we will catch you guys next time. Anything else, AJ, for those fun people? Uh, you know why there's no year zero in the Gregorian calendar? Why is that? Because the uh, time and date of Jesus' birth is a very debated topic. Okay. So in order to nullify that debate, they just have no year zero. My God, that is AJ, everyone, with the facts. In fact, if you go by the Gregorian calendar, Jesus was born in like negative or 3 BC or something like that. Yeah, I've heard that before. It's 3 BC. I think he died like 30. Yeah. So I think it is. I think he died. I thought it was 33 is what the Bible says. Or like the interpretation of the Bible that's broadly accepted. Yeah. Also, the Gregorian calendar didn't exist at the time. It was a Hebrew calendar, so he could be completely off. Yeah. Nice. Well, again, thank you for the facts. Thank you for joining us, AJ. And we'll catch you all you guys another time. Religion. Peace.
This podcast was a product of the SWW Show. You can find more at the SWWshow.com or Facebook.com slash the SWW Store or Twitter.com slash SWW. You can find out more about Mike at Mikey underscore Maroney on Twitter and more about AJ at Locevore on Twitter. Remember, new episodes come out twice a month, one focusing on the new entertainment news and one focusing on movie club, so new and an old movie. You can find out more again at the SWWshow.com. You can find the show on podcast services around the globe.